Stand Up with Pete Dominic. With Pete Dominic. On Indy, Sirius XM 104. But Jenny McCarthy, she has an autistic son, I believe. Actually, see, that's, okay, right there, that's a problem, but go on. Why is that a problem? Because, because actually, it's, it, it, it may turn out that her son does not have autism, um, and that he has some kind of, uh, you know, disorder. I don't even know what the classification is, because I've never examined him. Um, but I believe, unless I'm mistaken, that I read clearly recently that, that she thinks, well, it turns out he didn't really have autism. Really? I mean, I would, you know, it's one of those where I'd look it up. Uh, maybe I'll try to type one. Is talk. autism, like, how do you, how do you, I mean, like any other disease, how do you know it's autism when, when, when a child especially has, you know, is, is diagnosed as such? And, 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 uh, and there's also, I don't know much, but I know there's a spectrum as well, well that, in terms of functionality. Of With some illnesses, it's not like there's a, you know, a gold standard test. There's no blood test that comes back and says, oh, you've got, uh, you've got autism, like, oh, you've got HIV or oh, you have cancer. Um, and so it requires sort of a pretty intensive battery of uh, neurobehavioral tests done by qualified people who determine if you have certain behavioral characteristics which would place you on the autism spectrum. And, of course, then again, it's, again, it's a spectrum because people have different levels of functionality with having those symptoms or, or with, with having issues. So it's not as if it's sort of one thing and you just know you have it. So you're dependent on... Um, on, on people to give you this test. Part of what makes it autism is that it is somewhat irreversible. Um, it's not like it's a temporary condition which is going to go away. And the fact that uh, her child had, uh, you know, some issues or some, uh, some kind of, you know, limitations that actually seem to go away with time is one of the things you go, well, that's probably not autism. And, and I think she actually um, has said that, that, uh, that, that he probably didn't have autism. Yep, you know, I see oh, Really? Right. Yeah, I'm looking at reports. This is from back from 2010. New report says Jenny McCarthy's son may not have had autism after all. And I pretty much remember, like, losing my mind about this because uh, the fact that she's now going, oops, maybe he didn't have autism, and the fact that she's one of the people that truly led people to believe that, um, that, uh, that, he, that, that vaccines lead to autism is, is a huge issue. She, uh, back in 2010, it says she talks about her son's progress, saying, Evan couldn't talk, now he talks. Evan couldn't make eye contact, now he makes eye contact. Evan was antisocial, now he makes friends. And he's getting better, which is not autism. I mean, that, that is part of the problem is that, you know, these symptoms don't just go away if you have autism. If I remember correctly, too, I, I think her son had, you know, a very long seizure um, in which for like 45 minutes or something in which he probably uh, had some kind of hypoxic hit, meaning that his brain perhaps wasn't getting all the oxygen that it should have, which would cause an injury which could lead to symptoms and deficits, which I think she claimed was autism, and those kinds of things are sometimes reversible, that's probably what happened. Um, and so it, it's not even clear that her son had autism. Um, and, of course, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on her son because he, he's blameless, and there's, nothing, there's, there's you know, no reason to sort of have everything focus on him. The bottom line is that she's not a scientist. She, she says a lot of things about vaccines and about autism that have no basis in fact or in science, and lots of people listen to them, and they have serious medical consequences. Uh, Jenny McCarthy is the mother of her son. She claimed developed autism as a result of being vaccinated. She's been a vocal critic of childhood vaccines, yep. despite, of course, a lack of credible scientific evidence to support her view. Um, Bill Nye, the science guy, who is a far more uh, high-profile expert than you, Dr. Thanks. Carroll. Although we, and who we I were on the Dr. Oz show together once. 
I, did he, I hope he didn't even make eye contact, much as acknowledge your existence the way he should. Uh, I, that is pretty much the case. Oh, no! He was not nice? He just, we just really didn't interact. The Dr. Oz mm. show is very scripted. It's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, but, yeah, but backstage, I mean, you can... There really was no chance for backstage with, uh, with uh, Bill Nye. Dr. Aaron Carroll says Bill Nye is a mean prick uh, here today on Stand <laughs> I did not. Uh, Bill, uh, Dr. Carroll, tweet this out for me if you don't mind, Melanie. Dr. Aaron Carroll hates at Bill Nye or whatever the oh, hell is. Oh, God, do not do that. Um, okay, so Bill Nye uh, makes a really, I think, I, I wonder what you think of this point. I mean, basically he's saying uh, Jenny McCarthy's errant views on childhood vaccines may be discre- discredited on The View. Uh, I mean, th- does the idea perhaps that Jenny McCarthy have gotten this high-profile job on The View, I think it's a good thing because it brings up this debate. Uh, oh, which oh is, see, right there, right there. The fact that you say debate is what this is. How do you feel about climate change? Okay. It, it, well, it, no, but it brings up it brings up the misinformation that she has spread, so that anybody who might believe it is going to be inundated with a whole bunch of sources that that are going to debunk this very very dangerous belief yeah. for her and kids and others. And if I believed in my heart that that's how it was going to be done, but I think it'll be the debate, which is how you just by accident, because that's just how everybody refers to it, and which will give credence to this the idea that there's two sides to this. Right. That uh, you know that there's two credible. You know, thoughtful sides, and one group is just asking questions. Um, it's it, it, that, that's not the case. Uh, you know, it is absolutely discredited to the point where the original research, which was done by uh, Andrew Wakefield in London or in Britain and published in the Lancet, has been discredited not just as scientifically inaccurate, but likely as a fraud, in that they falsified the results to make it look like. Um, the vaccines caused, you know, the vaccines were linked to autism, never caused autism, because again, this is never a randomized controlled trial, but it was an incredibly weak study. It was really just a case report, and it looks like almost all of the data was, was fraud. They made it up to make it look worse. So entirely discredited. There's no scientific case for this. All of the subsequent studies show no link. The only study that sort of existed was a tiny case series of made up stuff. So there's no debate. There's no credible scientific community. Uh, okay, Paul in Florida. You're on with Aaron Carroll. Oh, here we go. Hey, hey boss. <laughs> hey, boss, man. Hey, daughter. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Look, I recognize Jenny and those guys are nuts, but I can almost understand why they feel this way because it seems like every time you turn around, the autism figures are increasing. You know, one in a thousand, one in 500. Oh, no, it was one in three. Right. And uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm, you're, 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 oh, oh, okay. Seems yeah, like autism is getting worse like, and worse. Yeah. I agree yeah, with it, you. Yes, I completely agree that that is, that is, what, is what the perception is going on. I was just going ahead. Go ahead. Right, and it, it almost seems that it's not like this, but, I mean, it almost seems like having a child with autism is the new trendy thing for a mom to do. And I'm wondering, what is driving this autism research and diagnosis? Is this... Big Pharma pushing this research, or is it no. organization? No, I would, I would actually say this is not. So, so you bring up, I think, an excellent point in that you know lots of people are worried about autism because it seems to be so much more prevalent, and because let's be totally honest, it's a real problem. Kids that have it have significant issues. They have, you know, we got, we, we want to get them into services, um, and so doing research in autism, I completely support. Look, I, I participate. I'm on grants 
that do research to try to diagnose and detect kids earlier with autism and to try to figure out how we can get them into services and do a better job. I completely support that. My problem is that they have, people have latched on to vaccines, and they've said, well, you know, kids are getting more vaccines. That's when the kids are getting more autism. That must be the cause. But, you know, that, that would be like saying cell phones are causing autism because more and more people are using cell phones, and, so, and therefore more and more people are getting autism, so cell phones cause autism. Or, you know, Game of Thrones causes autism because more and more people are watching Game of Thrones, and there's more and more autism. So what there? No, it's, it's – That's that, been proven, actually. That's actually been proven. So, so what, what is driving the, the increase in autism? It's probably multifactorial. One is that um, we do a much better job at detecting it. There's much more awareness about it. People are much more on top of it. Uh, and so it is very likely that uh, lots of people are much more likely to look for it, which means they're much more likely to find it. Secondly, we have broadened um, the basis of the diagnosis. So, you know, before what we might have called Asperger's syndrome or what we might have called even just, you know, functional deficit now is an autism spectrum disorder. So the numbers are inflated by that. Third, oh, okay. I appreciate it. What's all the other? Okay, so no, third, no, he's done. He's convinced. Oh, all right. Well, I was going to give it. But go ahead. Uh, I was going to say third. You know, it's important to know that because autism is such a political hot button issue, it is often easier to get kids with deficit services if you give them the diagnosis of autism. Money is often set aside in line items and budgets to say we're specifically giving money to autism. And so, if you have a child who needs services and you give them a, a, a label of autism, even if they happen to be a, really at the edge of the spectrum, they're going to get services. So we're doing it more because that's sometimes what doctors and everybody does in order to get kids the services they need. So that's really that has also increased um, the diagnosis. And it may be that it is more common, um, but, it, that's, but that's a part of it, not the entirety of it. And we want to figure out why. We don't, ask, we don't totally know why. Um, but, but what's clear is it's not the vaccine. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I want to I just actually clip out and maybe continue this, but that, that long piece on Jenny McCarthy and autism and the answers Dr. Carroll gave to, to the caller, Paul, and I want everybody to be able to share that with their non-listener, non-serious exam subscriber friends because that was very thorough, as usual. Dr. Carol Keith in New York, you're on stand-up. Hi. And, you know, I just got to mention, there is an outbreak going on right now of measles, the most inoculated, you know, thing to get rid of. There is children, there are infants in Brooklyn. This is not, you know, some third world disease. Measles, killing infants, it has caused myths in pregnant women. It is killing children. People talk about this as if, you know, well, what if the dangers of getting autism? There are real dangers of getting measles. My wife had whooping cough when she was in utero in her mother. It has had long-term effects of her uh, immunology and how she, you know, combats disease and colds and flus going forward. These are very real problems. We look at this problem, and I hear people like Jenny McCarthy, and I agree with Dr. Carroll. This is a horrible idea. We look at people like Jenny McCarthy and say, well, we need to judge, you know, the risk of the vaccine. No, you need to judge the risk of getting measles. You need to judge the risk of getting whooping cough. You need to judge the risk of getting any of the number of diseases. Well, now the view, the program is now being sponsored by measles, mumps, and rubella. <laughs> Uh, and also another John Lovett tweet. He says uh, uh, this this uh, quote uh, is uh, attributed to, let's see, congrats to Jenny McCarthy on The View. We're proud to have one of our best allies in such a prominent position. And that quote is attributed to uh, communicable disease. 
Yeah, big big polio has really been pushing for her for a long time. <laughs> the big polio it's, lobby. It's, it's, uh, uh, how dangerous. So, but here's what it says on the screen the that color, you were going to. It says right. children will die because Jenny McCarthy doesn't believe in vaccines. I think these beliefs have been, have been the cause. And I am not being Is that too far with the caller, Keith? I actually think a number greater than zero of children have died because people have bought into this myth. Um, wow. I think, you know, there have been people, not just in this country, but in England, when, when this all hit, everybody stopped vaccinating. There have been measles outbreaks. There have been pertussis outbreaks. Children have died. Um, the children who are not vaccinated are at significant, and this is done, you know, we can study them after the outbreaks. Children who are not vaccinated are at significantly increased risk. Um, over the children who were vaccinated, even though the vaccinated children are 100%, the ones who aren't vaccinated get sick at much higher rates. They allow the infection to take root. They allow us, the, you know, the herd immunity to be overcome, and more children die who were not vaccinated than who were hey, vaccinated. So it's it's, I think that the numbers expand on herd immunity because the fact of the matter is, vaccines are not 100% effective. Even if you get the vaccine, you still have a chance of contracting the disease. And what prevents that from happening is. If you have a room full of people and everyone gets the vaccine, let's say 80% of them it will be effective on. What prevents it from getting to that one guy in the front that's not going to have a vaccine that's effective for him is all the people in the back that do not carry that disease. Well, and then and that's have, what herd immunity is doing. You also have to remember that there's a significant number of people in the United or in the world who can't be vaccinated. Babies can't be vaccinated or, or you know, they can't be vaccinated. The elderly are sometimes immunocompromised. So you often don't just get vaccinated to protect yourself. You get vaccinated to protect your brothers and sisters. You get vaccinated to protect your grandparents. You get vaccinated to protect the unfortunate child who lives next door who has cancer. Um, for instance, we only vaccinate against uh, varicella or chickenpox at age one and above, but the number of babies, I think it was in New York they did a study, who got varicella dropped to almost zero because by vaccinating kids over the age of one, we removed sort of the ability for them to infect babies. So even though we couldn't infect the babies yet, they were protected by the fact that we started vaccinating everybody else and the number of deaths due to varicella dropped to literally zero. Um, and so it's not even just that we do it because you want to protect your own child, because again, the likelihood of you individually getting the disease is small. It's real, but it is small. But we're doing it because it's a societal good. It's how we eradicate these diseases entirely. It's how we protect unfortunate people who are otherwise sick, who have HIV, who have cancer, who are immunosuppressed, who are babies, who are old. This is how we do it. And we're using a myth, which has been absolutely disproven by huge research, uh, to continue to, to, to let this go on where people are getting infected and people will die. And um, I, I'm sorry, but like she's completely associated with this belief. She's absolutely tied into it. I've probably written books, even though I'm, I'm, I haven't read them, but I'm sure she has. And, and to sort of give her a platform, even to like give her to, so we can have a quote unquote debate about this is I think it's harmful. And I'm, I'm disappointed that, that they went this route. Uh, do you, I mean, do, has she walked any of what she has said in the past back on this? Does she change any of what she believes? I mean, if this all comes from one, uh, you know, one one study and one guy, and and it was considered fraud. I mean, you know, the the, the climate change uh, skeptics have all kinds of theories that they try to in studies. They have, they have things that they'll point to as quote unquote research. But it'll be somebody that says, but it'll be anecdote. It won't be like, it will not be well-designed, controlled, 
peer-reviewed studies. It'll be, well, did you, and, and what they also do is they, they ask questions. I'm just asking questions. Why can't you do a study where we see if this group is going to be more susceptible or that group? Well, we can't do those studies because they're unethical, because we know, we know vaccines work. So not to vaccinate children in order to do future research would be horrific. It would be like saying, it would be as if we gave it to the tobacco lobby and said, we're going to start doing randomized controlled trials of smoking so we can prove that it causes lung cancer, which has never been done. No one would allow us to do that. But it allows the tobacco companies to keep saying forever, well, you never proved it. Why won't you do the research? There's conflicting evidence. Studies don't know. It's the same exact argument of, of well, why won't you do these? We can't. That's not ethical. It'd be wrong. We'd be, we'd be knowingly subjecting children to risk and potential death just to discredit an already discredited argument. So they ask questions. They point to gaps in research. They, you know, they, they point to children, and they, get, and they wheel out parents who are very convincing, who also have, deserve nothing but sympathy, who said, you know, my children, my child seemed normal to me, and then about the age of one, he got vaccines, and, and then I noticed something was wrong. And, it, you know, it's, of course, it's just an association. It's just that we vaccinate children at three months, you know, two months, four months, six months, one year, 15 months. So you're vaccinating them so often, anytime you notice something, it's going to be around the time a child got a vaccine. Um, and that happens to be an age when parents first start noting that perhaps the child's behavior is different. It also happens to be a time these days when parents are hypervigilant because they have heard vaccines cause autism. So they get a vaccine, they watch really carefully, they notice for the first time some problem with their child's behavior, they believe it never happened before, they blame it on the vaccine. But huge studies, tons, this was the final chapter of our first book, which, which, lay, which break down every single possible argument. You know, studies of millions of children who've gotten vaccines, and they can find all kinds of links between vaccines and right. side effects, but none with autism, none. Uh, all right, we're <clears throat> talking to Dr. Aaron Carroll, who will always uh, be happy to take your phone calls on all things about the Affordable Care Act, about health policy, health insurance. Uh, as you can see, he's pretty well-versed in all these issues and obviously great at articulating them right off the top of his head. We've already got a couple calls, and uh, you've been writing a lot of great blog entries about uh, you know some, some good news, uh, childhood obesity decreases that might yeah. be real and, and other things. But I, I want to get to them, but let me get, get to the people that have been calling and, uh, and you're, of course, at their service providing this amazing public service for us on Wednesdays in the third hour. And I hope people pay you back by giving you a follow on Twitter at Aaron E. Carroll. That's his name. Matt in Staten Island. Hey, my friend. How you doing, buddy? Good. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Carroll, I had a question for you. Uh, I'm a member of uh, Brooklyn's Local 1 in New York City. We are 3,500 members, and we have about 3,000 uh, retirees. We have uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is our uh, hospital coverage. Our premium is going to go up next year from $8 million to about $12 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I was curious, with all the exchanges, the Affordable Care Act, I know it was postponed, but we're trying to figure out, I mean, why is it going up so much in one year? I mean, you're talking about basically, you know, going up almost like, you know, 40%. Yeah. Um, I, you know, each individual rate increase like that has to be reviewed, so I couldn't give an exact answer. But, you know, has it gone up in the past few years? Yes, but nothing. I mean, it's gone up uh, nominally. I mean, you know, right. so, I mean, it just this just might living, be a you know? catch-up period. I mean, it just might be that you know they're they're just catching up to what they think it is. I'm going to guess if you're a union that you guys have probably negotiated for pretty robust coverage, which uh, don't get me wrong, completely support. I think it's great, um, but 
uh, that, that kind of coverage is expensive, and it's going to keep going up. There's nothing in the law which is going to sort of, you know, hit that kind of private coverage and try, you know, all that when we talk about restraining the cost of health care, when we talk about things which can bring down health care spending, they're all focused on Medicare and Medicaid. They're all focused on, on government spending. Um, and we hope that that trickles down eventually to the private market. But none of the changes that have been made, accountable care organizations, bundled payments, you know, different kinds, none of that's private insurance. So there are no sort of real huge restraints yet on the cost increases of private, of private insurance. It's really likely they're going to continue to go up. Yours is not, you know, people will blame the Affordable Care Act and say, oh, it's the mandate, oh, it's, it's, you know, raising the level, they won't, you know, they're, they're demanding we pay for all these things we didn't used to. None of that is, none of that will impact your insurance, which was probably already more than qualified. Right, let me, let me uh, Matt, thanks. Sorry, I don't, I didn't get a follow-up. I love you. Uh, Bill, Pennsylvania, you're on with Dr. Aaron Carroll. He is at your service. At Aaron E. Carroll on Twitter. Go ahead, Bill. Yes, hi, Pete, and I do follow Aaron on, on Twitter. Excellent. Uh, my, my question was, uh, I work for a delivery company, large delivery company, and we have a, a great benefit package, which you know I'm happy to have that I don't have to pay for. Mm-hmm. But I was under the understanding that I may be taxed on that as income. Is that true, or and how would they base that? Because that would be a huge tax burden from yep. what I already pay. Okay, no, that's not true. So let's back up and take a deep breath to begin with. Um, there have been proposals in the past to remove the tax insurance, uh, um, the, the health insurance tax deduction. In fact, that John McCain proposed that. Now, I don't want to bash him because he proposed fixing it with the tax credit, but there have been proposals to do that. None of them are up, are up for voting. None of them are going to pass. So that's not true. The only tax that could kick in eventually um, for something like uh, what you're talking about is, is the excise tax. In other words, if your insurance is unbelievably uh, robust and super expensive, then at some point in the future, something like 2017, your insurance company or your employer will have to start paying a tax on uh, insurance above a certain amount. So are you, do you have a family plan or a single-person plan? Well, I, yeah, I, I'm a single person right now. Because do you have I'm any idea how much you know, your insurance benefit is, like, like how much they're paying for it? I, I, it is out there, but I don't know personally. I don't follow it. That's less than ten thousand dollars. Yeah, somebody said it was over twenty thousand a year. For an individual? Okay, if you're over twenty thousand dollars for an individual, you have one of the most expensive insurance plans in the United States. Because <laughs> the average plan for an individual. I don't know what it would be uh, offhand. I mean, it's very good insurance. I mean, it's through. The teamsters and stuff like that, you know, okay. you don't pay for anything, not even right. but, I'm, but I mean, like the average um, employer-based health plan in the United States is like forty-eight hundred bucks, maybe five thousand. So, okay, twenty thousand's way expensive. And what what makes it sort of silly is that you could get a ridiculously good plan for far cheaper than that. So probably what your business at some point in the future will do is say the excise tax is coming down the road. This is years away. The excise tax is coming down the road. We're going to wind up facing the tax bill if we continue to offer this plan for $20,000. We'll find a plan that costs $10,000, which you've got to believe me, is still ridiculously good insurance. Um, and they'll, they'll get below the cap um, to avoid the tax. But there's nothing that's going to start next year taxing you, um, working for a delivery company, um, that's, that's going to kick in, that's going to be some huge tax on, on your health insurance. That, that is not part of the law. It is not going to happen. Okay, All right. well, I appreciate thank, your time. Thank you very much, Bill. Michelle is in Florida, 
And uh, I don't know if she's following Dr. Carol on Twitter or not. Are you on Twitter? Are you following Dr. Carol at Aaron E. Carroll? Or else we can't I, take I, your call. I think I am, honestly. Um, <laughs> I haven't checked my Twitter in a while, so I, I'll, I'll have to plead the fifth on well, that one. If you, if you get a good answer, will you agree to check on it? And if not, create a Twitter account just to follow at Aaron E. Carroll. I, and, I, and I'm following you, Pete, but honestly, I don't know if I've followed Aaron. All right. Well, you will promise to check on well, and confirm. Today. All right. Regardless of the answer. Okay. So the question I have for Dr. Carroll is I, I heard you mention earlier that um, the argument against doing a study of vaccinated versus unvaccinated children would be that it would be unethical. Yeah. My, my question for you is there are hundreds of thousands of families in the United States right now right. who have not vaccinated their children, who refuse to vaccinate their children because of the, the risks and uh, the fears that they have, because, frankly, they don't trust the CDC. They don't trust Big Pharma. So my question is, why can't we use these children in that study? Well, they do, they do studies. They have done studies like that, but you have to always remember that those studies are always confounded. For instance, there are... Uh, you know, religious or ethnic groups that refuse to uh, vaccinate their children. Those religious and ethnic groups often have diseases that run in them. You know, Ashkenazic Jews have certain diseases that run in them. The Amish have certain diseases that run in them. So whenever you do a study where you let people select for one reason or another into certain groups, um, they, they cluster. And we have problems. Another problem is with autism. Autism is one of those weird diseases where it seems to run more positively in higher socioeconomic status groups, those are also the groups most likely to deny vaccines. So, you know, people will argue, well, we won't get the vaccine. People who support this kind of research immediately argue that that kind of study won't work because they recognize that autism is going to show up more preferentially in some of the groups which are already self-selecting to not vaccinate. Um, And they think that that will therefore, you know, kill the argument. That, that they will say, well, you know, we, we can look and say, look, autism is more prevalent in the people that don't get vaccinated than in the people that don't. And I, as a researcher, because I'm trying to be honest, will say, yes, that's a biased study. That's not giving us truth. Um, but that, that's why trying to do the natural experiment is a problem. Having said all of this, these stu- those studies have been done. That's what's been done. Um, in other words, when they, I've they, never they, heard of a study. If you've got, if you've got information on a study, buy my book. Buy my, I mean, this is one of the few times I'll just tell you buy the book, or even go into a library and read the last chapter. Um, in fact, I, I take it back. I bet I have reproduced online the entire last chapter on the blog. Go read the blog um, because we we've detailed these. Huge, I mean, they do studies like in countries because other countries collect medical data far better than we do, like Denmark, where they track who gets vaccinated and who doesn't, and whether or not this is how they do it. And they, they, can, they can look at it, and if there's no association. Would you agree, though, that the current vaccine schedule Uh-oh. is frankly oh, go, 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 go. Way over, overdone? I mean, to give an infant one day old a hepatitis B vaccine when neither of their parents are positive for a hep B, right. why? Why put the child through that risk? I mean, Do you vaccinate your children? Did you vaccinate your children, Michelle? I vaccinated my son until he was age two, and at that point I learned better and I stopped. Okay. The number of vaccines that are given out seem to be much larger than they used to, but there's two things you have to realize. It is not the number of shots 
that determines what your body is doing. It's what's actually in the shots that determines what's, what your body is doing. Oh, absolutely. And you're giving most, kids four and six vaccines in a day. you got to let me answer. The number of proteins that was in the original shots, because they weren't perfected or unrefined, was in the order of thousands. So they were responding every time we gave them to a shot to, like, thousands of antigens that, they had, that the body had to respond to. Today, if you add up all of the shots and what's in them, the number is an incredibly tiny fraction of what we used to give children. In other words, although we're giving them more shots, the number of proteins or antigens that we're asking the body to respond to has gone down by a tremendous amount. So that actually the response burden of what the body has to deal with as an infant through the shots is way less than it used to be. So it's not the number of shots which people point to, it's what's in the shots. And what's in the shots has only gotten less and less and easier and easier over time. So today's many, many, many shot vaccine burden is significantly less than the few shots we used to give out a decade or two decades ago. Moreover, okay, and you're talking about antigens, but what yeah. about the those, those things that are in the shots that are not the antigens? What about the propylene glycol? What about the purified? That's what I mean. We've purified them. We've gotten them to be simpler. So the number of things in the shot that they have, that the body will respond to, is significantly less than it used to be. Even the things people have problems with, the thimerosal, gone. There's been no thimerosal in children's vaccines since, like, they're like, you know, since the one people are concerned about, since like 2003. So we keep the making vaccine. them safer and less and less, the, but everybody focuses on the number because that's what they're concerned about. And you have to get past all that. The number of antigens that an infant is... is, is is exposed to by being in the world is a gazillion times higher than what's in the shot. Every day the body is responding to tons of particles and dirt and germs and bugs and things that we don't even appreciate because they're everywhere. And the body is built to respond to all of those things. The number that we're adding to that with the shot is absolutely inconsequential. Well, Where do you get all your your passion and your expertise? You clearly know what you're talking about. Are you a healthcare professional, Michelle? No, I'm not. Okay, so you've I done some research. All right, and, and 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 you have not gotten your child vaccinated uh, since since age two. Since age two, you can't unring the bell. You can't unvaccinate. And and my my concern is that there has not been enough to the. Uh, address not just the autism question, which I, I understand you believe that that has what, been What would you need? What, this is where I have to just know. Not, what study would you need to be done with how many children before you would feel comfortable giving a vaccine? And if, if the answer is none, that's perfectly acceptable. But to say that there's not enough research, the you've got to quantify for me what it would take because the number of studies that have been done to prove vaccines are safe are, are greater than any other drug that's out there right now, probably. Um, I the haven't number of seen people that involved study. is massive. So but, but, well, I haven't but, done my but, research. I have but, not seen that study that shows me vaccinated versus unvaccinated. At some point, uh, but at some point, at, at some point, for me, I don't do the research. I don't do the research myself. I tell everybody to think for themselves and look it up all the time. But at the same time, I also, I do as much as I can with the amount of time that I have to be, in this case, a responsible parent. But at some point, at some point, you have to trust people who have, to, you have to trust people. You have to trust actual people and, and, and organizations. If you're never able to trust people and organizations and you're only able to trust yourself, I mean, 
one of the things that's interesting about this, and, and I've, I've learned so much from talking to Dr. Carroll, becoming personal friends with him, and actually being in his office and looking at his computer screens, is that you actually need a degree just to know how to do proper research. You actually need to know how to do research on research. If you don't know how to do research on research, then you're probably going to come away with a lot of errors on this scientific issue and many others. It's very important to know what, how to look at what you're looking at. So my question back to you, Michelle, is do you trust anyone? I have Do you trust any testing. expert or group of experts or organization or peer-reviewed study I, on and anything? I would, and I and I would it go like even, who funds them. Okay, it, it depends on who funds them. them. There's no, I promise you that like almost all of the studies we're talking about have been funded by governments and countries because because they're oh. not. There's no money to be made really in you know in vaccines. Vaccines are like oh, there no, there are tons of money to be made. In vaccines, that vaccines is are like vaccines are like we have trouble getting con- getting companies often to make the vaccines because it's not something you take every day for but the rest of your life, which is how you that's make a gazillion But you're just but you're wrong, Michelle. You're wrong. So, yeah, you are. But you are, and that's really dangerous to be. But I, to, but I go further. I, I have now told you the studies have been done. I have told you where you can see the studies. I've told you where you can read about them. I will absolutely read them. But if you still come away and say, I don't believe it, or I need more research to be done, that you must, you can't be just that I have questions. But that's not, she's not reachable. She's not reachable. She has, she has made up her mind. Pete, now I, I am. You're, tell, you're telling me that I'm. I am. Reachable. I'm telling you that because you have because because no. And here's why I think that no. But here's why I think that. Here's why I I appreciate that you'll read it. I appreciate that, but I'm telling you, you'll read all day. You strike me as a person who will read all the research on an issue and and do due diligence, and you have good intentions. I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying you're not reachable because you won't listen. You won't listen to Dr. Carroll's point about why vaccines. Uh, uh, don't make a lot of money. He didn't get to finish that point. I'm very curious to hear him finish. Dr. Carroll, please finish the point about vaccines and the amount of money that they can make. You can make a ton of money on things that have to be given often. You know, on, you know, if you make a drug for, like, controlling acid reflux, people take it, you know, every day for the rest of their lives, tons of money to be made. If you make a Viagra, men will take it often for the rest of their lives, tons of money to be made. A vaccine is given X number of times and never again. And so you exactly know the fixed number of, I can predict this year, how many doses of vaccine will be given, period. And that is it. There's no extra profit to be made. We can't make commercials to get people to take extra. And in fact, they keep trying to find ways to bundle them together so that there's even less. So it's literally, you know, right off but the they bat. Keep finding, they keep finding additional things. Oh, well, you know what? We need to, we need to give this HPV vaccine. Yeah, but, but you don't, you can't. Not only our girls, but we need to give it to our boys. And then you're done. And then you're done. You can you can you can try to make it there, but once you've given it to all the girls and all the boys, it's over. That is literally it until the next year when another group comes along. There's never like, oh, we need to give people twelve more doses. No, it's just once you've maximized and given it to everybody in the human race once or however many times you need it, it's over. And you cannot, as a pharmaceutical company, make a billion dollars or a super drug like you can with the Viagra or a you know, Pepsid or a Nexium. Or a, those can be given out a gazillion times for the rest of your life. Well, because people, I mean, just to cut through what you, both of you are saying is because those drugs are something that someone takes every day or Whatever. once a week. For a long, yes, long time, right. and they have to keep getting that prescription refilled. You don't have yep. to keep getting a vaccine. They are making, 
certainly they are making a lot more money on those types of drugs. Yeah, but do all the research. Do, 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 come on, even look, I can't game. believe you're making me take the side of pharma here because it's just unbelievable. But let's be honest. If, I, if I'm going to create a new drug today and I'm a pharmaceutical company and I'm going to invest my money, I can either choose to go to a vaccine where I can predict right now the maximum money I can make, period, because once I've vaccinated everybody, it's over until the next year. Or I can create a new drug, which is just a slightly Me Too drug, that will treat a non-curable entity where people will take it to slightly improve their quality of life multiple times a day for the rest of their lives. Where am I as a company going to invest my money? I'm going to invest it in the latter. So getting companies to develop and create vaccines, which is what I said, is very hard because there's not as much money to be made. I'm not saying they... I, I'm glad. I'm uh, Michelle. I appreciate the call and the discussion. I appreciate. I really do appreciate the passion and the amount of research that someone like Michelle does. She's misguided and she's wrong, but she she has good intentions. And I and I so I'm not insulting uh, her in any way. She's just wrong. And, and, and Dr. Carroll gave us a lot of evidence and enough to go with. And you can decide and think for yourself. I've got to take a break. Last word from you. I've got to take a break. Uh, I just want to say, I have no If you say you haven't seen the research, I have now told you where it is. I've now told you what it is. If you go and read it and you come away with, I need more, you must quantify for me what the study would be that would convince you and how many people need to be in it. Because we've already done studies that cost billions of dollars and millions of people. And if you tell me that you need another one, you got to tell me what it is that's not been done before. And if you can't, then just own that you're not going to be persuaded by evidence. I have no, you know, I can live with that. We'll stop having the argument. But you can't just say more research. you got to tell me what we're lacking. Uh, all right. Uh, let's take a quick break. Stand up with Pete Dominic. For more Stand Up with Pete Dominic, go to SiriusXM.com slash indie.